0: that is indeed our prayer that for Jesus' sake Father God you would come in mercy and you would come in grace and Father you would just uh, transform us and then through us just affect, shape mould this nation we pray Father we know it's never going to be perfect till Christ returns we know it's always going to be in rebellion against you but Father we long to see Christ glorified And we long to see men and women, boys and girls, honouring you. And Father, that is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church Discipline, part two. Just to recap very briefly where we got up to last time, because it was a few weeks ago and a number of those points are relevant to where we're carrying on this morning. Um, This section of the letter, you remember, is about blatant flagrant sin. Sin that has been done in the open and boasted about in the church. Sin that is destroying the witness of the church and the community. Sin that is destroying those committing it and damaging others around about them. And Paul writes strongly and emphatically this must be dealt with, it must be set right. But we also saw last time that the focus here, at least in this first part, is not on the sin but on the church's attitude towards that sin. He comes on to the sin later on in chapter 6, in the second half of that chapter, he talks about um, sexual immorality and sexual conduct, but here initially his concern is not about the, the detail of the sin or what's wrong with the sin, but the very specific point that the church isn't dealing with it in a right way. What has happened to church discipline? And that's what this passage is primarily about. Now we looked in some detail last time at these opening chap- verses of chapter 5 but just to remind you of a couple of those things Paul first of all is not, and I repeat not, advocating some sort of witch hunt that in every church at all times people should be constantly looking around to try and spot the first sin that someone else commits as so that's our goal, that's what we're here for we are the family of Jesus Christ, we're brothers and sisters in Christ there is to be a unity, there is to be a, a love a love that covers a multitude of sin, not by hiding it, not by, uh, not by deceiving ourselves about it, but, but our goal is not to be constantly looking at someone else saying, ah, you're wrong, you're sinning, I've got gotcha. you. That, that's not what Paul's advocating here. We are saved by grace and grace alone. We are all sinners. This church is not perfect. No church is perfect until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. I first examine my own heart I first you know, deal with my sin and then gently by the grace of God help others to examine theirs that's the biblical pattern isn't it this is not advocating this, this is a case where this sin is being reported 400 miles away presumably uh, at Ephesus where Paul is this is about sin that is destroying the church this is about a church all getting involved in this sin and boasting about it that's a very very different thing First thing, we're not in a witch hunt. Second thing, it's not about wanting to hurt somebody who's committing sin, even sin as gross as this. It's not about wanting to hurt them. It's not about trying to get them out where we're never going to have to look at them again. All that's said here is still said with a desire and a goal of seeing that person restored. Verse 5 of chapter 5, what does he say there? hand this man over to Satan so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord Paul is still, his love is still there for this person, he still wants to see them saved and as we said last time when we go into the second letter, chapter 2 verse 6 unless that's talking about someone else and every commentator is agreed that it's, it's almost certainly talking about this situation here, praise the Lord this person is restored and Paul's able to write to them and say welcome him back now You know, end to that separation he, he's confessed his sin he's repented of it, he's put the matter right, welcome him back as a brother or sister in the law, his sin is covered by the grace of God in Christ the same as yours and mine this is all about us as Christians being different different to the world different to what we were different to all the agendas that are out there different to what's being taught in the schools different to what the government says different to, to what anybody says this is about us as Christians glorifying and radiating Christ and honouring him and we ended up last time saying that's where I wanted to start this time is looking at the reasons why it's so important. So let's do that, shall we? Why is church discipline so important? Number one, it's all about the holiness of God. If we don't see that, we're never going to see the importance of church discipline. We're never going to understand the reason for church discipline. All the time that we think church is primarily about us. I mean, I know when we come in here, we see each other. Of course we do. God is invisible we we discern very readily who's here and who's not here amongst us if we fail to see that god is here and this is about god then we're never going to understand church discipline right it's about the holiness of god do you see in verse 4 of chapter 5 when you're assembled in the name of our lord jesus and the power of the lord jesus is present it's about christ it's about god's glory Ephesians 3.21 To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 5.23 For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body. It's what the church is. It's the body of Christ. The church is first and foremost about Christ. Everything is. Romans 11.36 For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Colossians one eighteen And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. It's all about God So when we come and look at the church and we say, why is church discipline so important? What does it matter? After all, we're all sinners, we're all fallen. Yes, if it's about us, you could argue like that perhaps. If we think the church is about us, we'll look at it and say, well of course there are going to be problems in it, of course there's going to be sin in it, because we're problematical, we're sinful, we're fallen beings, saved by the grace of God, but nevertheless there's this battle going on. If we start to think that way, of course we're going to start to accept sin, but the church isn't about sinners, it's about God, who is holy, God who is without sin, and God says, "My church should be holy because I am holy." The church is the bride of Christ. One sin in the church is one sin on the body and bride of Christ. Christ's bride shouldn't have sin on her, should he? Should she? I mean, would you expect your bride to come to the wedding with all stains on her? You know, a bride goes to great lengths, doesn't she, to to buy a white outfit and to have it spotlessly white and, you know, one little mark on there and she's going to go to the greatest lengths to remove that before she stands next to a bridegroom. The church is the bride of Christ. And one sin is one stain on that bride the first reason is that God is holy that's why he insists on discipline in the church that's why he insists that sin is dealt with at whatever level it is in an appropriate way and if it gets to this level then dealt with in such a dramatic way because he is holy and he requires that we reflect that holiness that's the first reason the second reason is about the restoration of the one who sins I'm not going to develop that because we looked at it last time But it's not about throwing that person out and saying I don't want anything more to do with them. It's about wanting to see that person in a right relationship with Christ. It's done out of your love for that person. And we looked last time at the whole levels that we go through before we get to this one, which is the final one, the the strongest one of saying we can't accept you anymore in in the, the membership of the church in order to shake them and wake them up to, to what they're doing wrong and where they're going wrong in order that they will realise that as Paul says here and come back to the Lord the third reason is this it's about the protection of brothers and sisters now you might say well surely that's the first reason it's important it isn't the first reason is the holiness of God and if we don't see that we'll never fully understand what we mean when I say the protection of brothers and sisters if we don't see the holiness of God in it, we'll say, okay, well obviously if someone's committing uh, um, adultery and that person and his wife's in the church, she's being damaged by it, so we've got to protect her. We'll see the protection like that. If it's child abuse, obviously we've got to protect the children. We'll see it in that sense, but I mean far more than that when I say the protection of brothers and sisters. I mean protecting their holiness. I mean protecting their spiritual state. I mean protecting their minds and their hearts and we'll only appreciate that if we appreciate it's about the holiness of God they're trying to imitate Christ or they should be and if sin as blatant and as flagrant as this rises up in the church and isn't dealt with it's going to damage them it already is here in this church look at verse 2 of chapter 5 you are proud shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief It's, it's Already damaging all sorts of other people in this church that's what sin does isn't it it damages ourselves first and foremost but then if it's not confessed and dealt with and we start to talk about it and others don't immediately come down on us and say that's wrong you need to deal with that or or lovingly come alongside us depending the level and, and so on if they just say well okay, if you want to sin like that that's your business good luck with it which is effectively what the church here was saying and it starts to damage the ones saying that and then others and others and so on the weak are tempted the young in the faith are confused those proud in their standing boast it just permeates further and further into the body of Christ doesn't it and that's exactly what was happening here do you see what Paul's saying in verses 6 to 8 we didn't look at them last time in chapter 5 he's saying it's like the Passover um, batch of, of dough that was made without leaven. He says, You, you, you know what that's sort all of, They would have understood that it's, it's Old Testament, and especially the Jews, they would have understood the, the picture very well. Where God is going to, to pass through and He's going to uh, deal in measure with the sin of the Egyptians, but He's going to pass over the houses where his people are sheltering behind the blood of the lamb where they've obeyed him and they've killed the lamb and they've put the blood across the doorpost and they shelter behind it and God passes over them and God doesn't deal with them according to how their sin deserves and of course it's a wonderful picture of Christ it's a wonderful picture of the salvation that is in Christ and the point was they made this dough without yeast and it was symbolic of this new life but as he says there, the, the yeast of, of sin is left behind. That has no part in it. Now, I'm no cook, but I know this much, that you don't need a lot of yeast in dough to make the dough rise. It's not like you need a bag of it in there. You just need a tiny little pinch of it in there. And, and it works right through that dough and the whole of the dough rises. It doesn't just rise on the spot where the yeast was. It, the whole of it, as, as it works through it, And Paul says, don't you understand, that's what happens with sin. You are the body of Christ, you're his bride, you're supposed to be living transformed, radiant, God honouring, God glorifying lives and one little sin, if it's not dealt with, ends up permeating through that and contaminates the whole yeast. And you end up with the whole church being damaged, if you're not careful that's why it's important it's important for the sake of our brothers and sisters the fourth reason is this it's about the witness of the church here they are look first one it's being reported you see what he's saying it's being spoken out from the church it's, it's news no news travels like bad news of the church does it this, this is the news this is the gossip of the day Paul's saying, this is what's being reported that there in that church, some 400 miles from where I'm writing this letter there's sexual immorality going on of a kind that even the pagan community of Corinth wouldn't tolerate or do you know what witness have you got left as a church when that happens what witness has a church got in its community when they know there are things going on in there?" That are as bad or the same as what they're doing out there. And we're saying we're the bride of Christ. We're saying we're saved. We're redeemed. We've got the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We're new creations. And they look at us and say, Yeah, that looks just like us. All credibility's gone, isn't it? That's what he says further in chapter 6 about taking to the court. You've lost before you start. You've destroyed your witness. my friends do we see why church discipline is so necessary if there is any church leader who enjoys exercising discipline I would suggest there's something wrong with them it's not a thing to be enjoyed but it's a thing to be done it's necessary it breaks your heart you know when you see someone who has come into church membership they've been your brother and sister you've shared with them, you've prayed with them and then you see them doing things that are wrong so wrong and it's become knowledge and people are starting to comment on it it's heartbreaking isn't it to see that and and, and your heart bleeds for them but if you love them you've got to do something about it And, and if counselling won't do it and pleading with them won't do it and praying with them won't do it and people talking with them won't do it then you've got to do what God says you've got to do not with joy with tears you've come to a point where you've got to say I'm sorry enough is enough you've gone too far until such time as this resolved you're not in the membership of this church for the sake of the body for the glory of Christ for the holiness of God for the witness for all of these reasons and especially for that person because something's going to have to shake them something's going to have to wake them up or they're going to be lost in the world but not of the world verses 9 to 13 how far do we then go with this separation you see some Christians have gone right outside the church with it, haven't they won't have newspapers uh, they won't eat meals with uh, even Christians of, a, of another denomination than them um, certainly wouldn't allow a Christian from another church to share Lord's Supper with them um, I've heard of some, Roger Carswell was telling us about some I, I remember that uh, have actually broken off their drain system so that their sewage doesn't link in with the rest of the um, town they've had septic tanks put in so they're totally separate now is that what God's saying here well I see by the smiles the answer no of course it's not but that's how the Corinthians were interpreting what Paul was saying to them Okay, we mustn't mix with um, immoral people therefore we'll have no dealings at all with those outside the church and Paul says how ridiculous is that the only way you can do that is by stop living on this planet you know of course you're going to find yourselves working with people who aren't Christians of course when you go to the supermarket you're going to be queuing up with people who aren't Christians of course if your kids are in school they're going to be in school with kids who aren't Christians that, that's the way it is you're in the world but you're not of the world that's the distinction isn't it you're there in the midst of it but living a holy life that's Paul's point radiating Jesus Christ there I find Philippians two fourteen and 16 so helpful verses I, I, I find them amazing every time I read them do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life isn't that it? he says look there's a black universe and you're the stars that God has put there to shine out as you hold out the word of life so your life is the shining isn't it? your life is the star and the word of life is is the gospel that you're holding out and Paul says that's how you're supposed to be The image is so simple, isn't it? Can I ask you a very simple questions? Kingdom Kids could have answered these. Here's the first one. Where does the light of one match shine brightest? I mean, mean, if you lit a match in here now, it wouldn't shine very bright, would it? If you pulled all the blinds up, it would hardly shine at all. But you go into the darkest room you've got in your house, with all the curtains shut, in the middle of the night and you strike the match there and it will shine won't it? it shines brightest against the blackest backdrop for it where does one star shine brightest? it shines brightest doesn't it? in the darkest part of the sky when there is no moon and you've been out there and your eyes have grown accustomed to the dark that's when it shines brightest isn't it? When, when 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 the sun's out you don't see any stars when the moon's out you don't see many but when the sky's black and an area of the sky where there aren't many stars you see the individual stars don't you brilliantly shining that's the imagery God has put us in this world and the darker it gets and the blacker it gets the brighter a Christian's witness will shine if they're living a holy life as God's called them to live it. They will radiate there. People might not like it. They might not like the the challenge to their conscience and to their life of it. But boy, you'll shine. And that's what we're called to do, isn't it? Where does a pure, holy, Christ-glorifying Christian shine to greatest advantage? When he's put in the darkest, foulest, sinful, most sinful gathering? that's where he'll shine the brightest provided he lives the life that God's calling us to live not getting contaminated by it, not compromising with it but standing there as Christ would stand there the spotless Lamb of God now friend can I suggest to you that most churches today like the church of Corinth got this round the wrong way we're very good at looking outside at the world and saying that is such an immoral world out there that is such a sinful world. I don't want anything to do with it. Well, there's a right sense for that, of course. We don't want to get contaminated by it. But they start stepping back from it and avoiding it and saying, well, you know, and yet it's that there where God's called us to be. Of course, that world is sinful. Of course, it's immoral. It can't do anything about it any more than you or I could outside of Christ. It's a fallen world. Unless those people come to Christ, they cannot change that. And we've got the gospel we've got the only means that they can come to Christ so unless we're going to engage with that unless we're going to communicate with that unless we're going to be living in that world it's just going to get blacker and blacker but in the church and that's the point of this passage Paul's saying that is not the case The church are those who have been brought out of the world. The church are those who have been redeemed. The church are those who are the bride of Christ. And in there there should be no sin. In there there should be the radiance of the holiness of God. The church should shine like a, a lighthouse out into the community. They should look at the church and be amazed at what they see there. I find it a sobering thought every time I think about it that I guess between the turn into the 20th century and into the 21st century we'd all agree that standards in Britain have dropped like that. You know? I mean when you think about the sin that's not only tolerated but taught in schools um, in regards to sexual relationships and so on the rightness of other religions all these sort of things when you sort of take all of that the state our country has got into in so many different areas, you've got to conclude that the standard in Britain has gone something like that. If you then look at the difference between the standards in the church and the world at the start of the 20th century and the start of the 21st century, I suggest your only conclusion you can draw is that the standards in the church have dropped even more dramatically. That's a frightening thing, isn't it? of course the world's standards will drop and they will continue to drop until Jesus Christ returns but the standards in the church shouldn't drop because our God hasn't changed his spirit hasn't changed his work hasn't changed be holy as I am holy says the Lord the scope of church discipline very quickly let's just look at this shall we in fact no we won't I think we'll leave it to next time because I don't want to uh, squeeze it and and not do justice to God's word and times against us my friend how do we see ourselves in this fallen, damaged fractured society in which we live please be horrified by what you see outside please don't want it to contaminate you please search your mind and your heart every moment of every day to that we should be as pure and as clean and as set apart as we can be fit vessels for Christ to use and in the church if we're all doing that individually there's not going to be a problem in the church is there we will start to radiate Christ even more than we're doing now far more than we're doing now but then let's go back out there as those clean vessels filled with the spirit glorifying Christ living for him and let's show this world what a difference Christ makes you know let's, let's stand up before them let's let them examine our lives examine our hearts examine our beliefs let's say to them come on have a look what do you think and if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing they will see our good works and glorify our father who is in heaven on the day he visits us won't they that's the goal they will look at us and like it or not they'll be forced to conclude there is something radically different about us that they cannot explain by natural means and they'll be forced to the only conclusion they can be forced to that there is something in what they believe that God is changing their lives, he is doing a supernatural work in them and then by God's grace, as God's spirit moves, some of those will come to bow the knee in repentance and faith and they too will join us in the church let's sing